Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. The Grind. Thanks to Tennis Direct, your number one online tennis store with great prices and fast delivery. Go shopping at tennisdirect.com.au. Use the discount code FIRSTSERVE10. Hello to all the listeners out there. My name's Alex Johnston and welcome back to another edition of The Grind. In the first episode, I had an in-depth conversation with American broadcaster Mike Cation about the importance of the Challenger Tour and some of the issues that the Tour and its players go through. Mike, amongst many other things, has been broadcasting the Challenger Tour in the USA since 2013 and knows the ins and outs better than most people. It was a great chat and if you missed it, you can go back and listen at thefirstserve.com.au under the podcasts tab. In this edition of The Grind, I was lucky enough to get the chance to speak to Richard Glover, Vice President at the ATP and the man in charge of the Challenger Tour. I spoke to Richard about the ATP's plans for the Challenger Tour, how they're addressing the issues that the Tour faces, and I managed to get some good news about Challenger events in Australia in the back half of 2022. But before we get stuck into that conversation, let's quickly run through some of the results around the globe. It's going to be pretty hard to talk about the results without highlighting a big week for a couple of Aussies on the Challenger Tour. Jason Kubler capitalized on his recent run of hot form with the title at the Little Rock Challenger in Arkansas. The Aussie fourth seed didn't drop a set throughout the whole tournament and saved his best performance for the final against Tungling Wu of Taiwan, earning a 6-love, 6-2 victory in just over an hour on court. It was Kubler's seventh career challenger title and his third trophy for 2022 after lifting two ITF titles earlier this year. Kubler has now won 12 of his last 14 matches and moves to a 28-9 record for the season. He's currently sitting at number 119 in the live ATP rankings, and he's jumped 148 places from number 267 in the past year as he continues his charge back towards the top 100. Let's hear from Jason following his win at the Little Rock Open. Uh, thank you, everyone. Um, first of all, everyone that came out today, uh, you know, I think you've created such a good atmosphere here, especially um, you know today. I saw the other days the crowd was getting pretty full, but today was was certainly different to uh, to what you expect a challenger tournament. So, everyone that came out, thank you so much. Uh, secondly, Tung Lin, uh, great week. You know, I've, I've been watching you play this week. I thought, you know, maybe we would meet in the final. So, I've just seen you've been playing well. So, um, you know, we have Orlando next week. So, keep it going and then hopefully, you know, we can play again. Thank you for the tournament. Um, like Tung Ling said, with the rain, it, it made it difficult. Um, so, you know, to be able to, you know, we didn't necessarily need to back up too much, but um, I think it ran pretty smoothly. The transport ran ran smoothly. It was always there when the players wanted it. Um, you know, the balls when we need to practice, everything ran smoothly. Um, so hopefully, 
hopefully next year I can come back and you know defend the title. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to have great memories of this week. I think just again, um, I don't know if you guys realise just how, uh, I wouldn't say rare, but it's not common that so many people come out for a match. So um, yeah, I just want to say thanks again. It really created such a great atmosphere for the, for the match. And um, yeah, thank you guys. A big congratulations to Jason there following a great week in Arkansas. So Jason will now have a crack at winning another title at the Orlando Open Challenger, where once again, he'll enter as the fourth seed in a field featuring the always entertaining JJ Wolf, Emilio Gomez, Christopher Eubanks, and rising Aussie Rinky Hijikata, who is on a collision course with Kubler in the quarterfinals, should they both get there. Another Aussie, Dane Sweeney, will contest the doubles with German Sebastian Fanzalo. Fellow Aussie Andrew Harris will also contest the doubles with American Christian Harrison following their run to the title at the Little Rock Open. Harris lifted his second doubles title of the year following an ITF trophy in Prague a few weeks ago. Another big story on the tour over the past week was Jordan Thompson winning a title on the grass at Serbent in the UK. It was Tomo's first career title on grass, his eighth at the challenger level and his first in four years. He'll move up to number 74 in the live rankings and hopefully this win will kickstart him into some stronger form heading into the grass season. Thompson will head to the Nottingham Challenger this week as the third seed in a field featuring Britt Dan Evans, Jack Sock, Yuri Vesely and Aussies Alexi Popperin and John Millman. Moving on now, we'll run through some results on the ITF tour over the past few weeks. Omar Jaseka continued his winning ways since returning to the tour, claiming his third and fourth ITF titles for 2022 in Heraklion, Greece. The Melbournians had an impressive 39-8 and record for the year and sits at number 473 on the live rankings. Akira Sandaland found himself back on the winner's list following a title in Tunisia at the end of May, Sandaland's eighth career title and his first since 2017. Priscilla Hon also ended the month of May with a bang, claiming the 25K event in Israel with a win in the final over former world number 12, Yanina Wickmeyer of Belgium. The win pushed Hon back into the top 200, and she's currently sitting at 198 in the live rankings. Jamie Fawless won the biggest title of her career, taking out the 60K event in Brasov, Romania, with a straight sets victory in the final. It's Jamie's sixth career ITF title and her second for the season as she moves to a 27-12 record for the year resulting in a career-high WTA ranking of 176. 17-year-old Talia Gibson also won her first title at the ITF level, winning the 15K event at Rancho Santa Fe in the USA in a hard-fought final lasting two and a half hours. Gibson is a young Aussie on the rise and has an impressive 24-11 record for the season and is definitely one to watch out for. Now to round out the results with some doubles action. So a big shout out to Callum Puttergill and Aaron Addison, Gabby De Silva Fick and Brandon Walken and Matthew Romios, who all won titles in Israel, Greece and Bosnia, respectively. You can read more on these results and plenty more at thefirstserve.com.au. So without keeping you waiting much longer, we'll move on to our guest for this edition of The Grind. As mentioned earlier, I was fortunate enough to speak to Richard Glover, who amongst other things is heading up the Challenger Tour at the ATP. Richard was formerly the CEO of Tennis South Africa and stepped down at the end of 2021 following five successful years of growing the game in the Rainbow Nation. His priorities now lie with the ATP and growing the game at the challenger level, a vitally important part of the makeup of professional tennis. So before I keep rambling, let's get stuck into this conversation with Richard. So you've obviously made the move from Tennis South Africa to uh, the ATP at the start of the year and one of your roles is looking after the challenger tour. 
just wondering, um, how have you found the role since taking over and sort of what does it involve? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you you obviously go into a role with an expectation and I, I think I had a, a really good expectation about the what, what the role is and I was really excited to start the role. But I could honestly say that um, the role is is potentially more exciting than I realized. And I think it's 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 a real opportunity over the next few years to really grow and strengthen the pipeline and the pathway for men's professional tennis. I mean, there's an old saying that a, a house that stands the test of time is is built on strong foundations. And for me, the challenger tour is the foundation of, of the house that we call the ATP. So it's it's in, in many ways it's a unique opportunity and one that that we're really trying to grab with both hands to really transform um, the, the the foundation of men's professional tennis. So I guess since you've taken over, was there any sort of preconceived notions of areas that you'd like to really target or any any problems, I suppose, that you identified since taking over that you'd like to sort of get stuck into? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I spoke to a lot of people um, before I started the role and, and I've actually got some experience of, of running both ITF tournaments and challenger tournaments in South Africa. So I've also seen it from that perspective. And look, it's a... It's it's the challenger tour at the moment has has many challenges and, and and issues which we're looking to resolve. But I think those challenges and issues are also opportunities. And I think that, as I said earlier, for me is the most exciting thing is 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 really working with with the team within the ATP, but also working with players and working with tournaments to really rectify some of the, those issues and challenges. And I think a lot of the, the sort of the, the the criticisms that have been leveled at the challenger tour, rightly or wrongly, are solvable. So I think that's that's something that really excites me. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess one of the main challenges, both speaking to some players here on a local level in Australia and just, I guess, a bit of the rumblings around the world, um, obviously sort of payments for players and all that gets spoken about pretty heavily. Um, I'm just, I've read a little bit into what the ATP is trying to do, but if you could just explain the way you're sort of trying to ease the burden on players and increase revenue, which then would turn into prize money, I guess. Yeah, I, I almost think we need to almost take a step back and 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 really just maybe just explain what we've actually been doing over the last four or five months. And really what we've done is a really deep dive into the Challenger Tour. So we've created different work streams, diff- looking at different aspects of the Challenger Tour. We've been consulting and speaking with tournaments and tournament promoters. We've also created a player group, so representatives of Challenger Tour players, and that we've engaged, we engage with the month- monthly basis and really looking at, at at all aspects of the Challenger Tour. And I think for me, the starting point, the, the question that, that we've really wanted to answer is, is what is the purpose of the Challenger Tour? And obviously people say, well, it's, it's, it's the pathway for men's professional tennis, but, but what does that actually mean? And I think we've sort of distilled that, that pathway purpose into three key aspects. One is um, we're looking moving forward and, and moving forward, we're talking about from the sort of the start of the 2023 season onwards, is we're looking to create financial sustainability for a specific target ranking range of players. So what that target ranking range is, is it's still being worked on at the moment. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect is we want to increase playing opportunities at Challenger to a level for a larger target ranking range of players. And then the third aspect is, is really about creating greater mobility for younger players. And so now that we've sort of established the purpose and then the sort of the three foundations of that purpose is we're really working on a new strategy that looks to start start to deliver on that purpose, financial sustainability, increased playing opportunities, and, and greater mobility. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be one thing or two things that that starts to solve the financial sustainability issue. Um, I think it's going to be a combination of things. So we are looking at prize money at events. 
and changing prize money at events. We are looking at um, the distribution of, of prize money at different categories. We're looking at increasing the number of, of higher levels, so 100 and 125 category challenger events. Um, we're also looking at, at some more player support mechanisms as well in terms of what, what other ways can we actually financially support players. So I think there's a lot going on at the moment. We are due to present to the ATP board our sort of strategic plan for the Challenger Tour for 2023 onwards. That that um, presentation or proposal will be made later this year. And assuming it's, it will be signed off, which we're confident it will, I think there's going to be a lot of changes and enhancements and improvements to the Challenger Tour, not just for players, but also for the entire Challenger Tour ecosystem as well. Because we mustn't also forget um, tournaments and, and ensuring that we have sustainable tournaments and also a better presence across all regions across the world as well. Because that's another challenge slash opportunity that we're looking to address as well, is having a much better regional mix of tournaments so that the Challenger Tour is represented across all regions of the world. One other thing, I suppose, how much, obviously money doesn't grow on trees. It's hard to sort of just say, yeah, we'd like to make everyone that plays tennis, you know, get reimbursed for it. And there definitely has to be a cutoff line. I agree with that, whether that's around 250, 300 in the world in terms of how quality the tennis is. But um, how, how much do you think you could gain out of greater exposure of these events, which, you know, in turn would attract obviously more sponsors for tournaments, um, online streaming, whatever that may be. I obviously know it gets streamed at the moment, but more exposure than would bring more money, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's definitely an issue or, or opportunity that has been raised by both our players group, but also by our internal work streams, our internal ATP work streams. And I think what what both both those sort of role players or stakeholders have said is that we need to deliver, develop more of a narrative and more of a context around the challenge. And that's definitely something we're looking to do because... Um, what are they? There's 140, 150, 160 Challenger Tour events played across the world in different categories in different parts of the world. But what does it actually mean in that sort of the greater context of an annual global tour? So that's something that we're looking to do. And and linked to that, we also we're also looking at a new um, brand and digital identity for the Challenger Tour. So our, our brand and marketing team are working on that for 2023. But it all talks back to increasing exposure. Um, really looking at, at, at what the narrative, what the story is we're telling around the Challenger Tour and then investing in the right platforms and, and the right content to be able to tell that story. So that's, that's definitely an area we, we, we will improve on from, from the second half of this year, and, but especially 2023 onwards. I sort of know, for example, um, it's just about getting to know some of these players. Like I was watching JJ Wolf from America not long ago, who's been on the tour for a few years, and he, every now and then he hits these opposite hand forehands and I just saw that exposed in Mexico on the big stage. You're going, wow, you know, you need to, if you celebrate these guys, you know, sort of more people will be able to get to know them and get around them instead of just exclusively watching that top 50 in the men's sort of thing. It, it does it does feel like, like at times, like the Challenger Tour and the players who play on the Challenger Tour, almost like the great secrets of tennis, aren't they? Because yeah. the, the skill level and the playing quality level at Challenger Tour level is, is outstanding. And I think you're right. As a... As a group, as an organization, we need to be ex- exposing those players and telling those stories better because there are some incredible um, players coming through the Challenger Tour. So once again, it's a challenge, but it's also such an exciting opportunity. I guess one other thing I'm interested in is um, so what actually goes into the tour and making it all happen in terms of allocating tournaments. As you said, you want to increase the amount of regions they go in. And I know, especially down here in Australia, I guess pre-COVID, I think we had six Challenger events. We've had two at the start of this year and we're sort of unsure whether there's going to be any more. Um, another issue that I'll touch on later is how exposed they get down here in Australia. But 
sort of how does the allocation and the funding, I suppose, work to allocate tournaments to various places around the world? Yes. Yeah, so, so look, the, the Challenger Tour is actually a bit of a monster. Um, I think in twenty in twenty twenty one, I think there were close to one hundred and fifty events hosted across about thirty five countries, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a, it's a massive operation, and the team that that runs the Challenger Tour essentially do an incredible job because at the moment it's a really small team. But I, I think probably one piece of constructive criticism I can give about how the Challenger Tour has been run historically is is, is we've almost taken what the market's given us. So promoters have come to us and said, we want to run an event in Italy in this week. And we've said, go ahead, no problem. Here we go. And I think moving forward, and it's, it started this year to a degree, but but it's going to be much more intense in 2023, is we're taking a much more centralized planning approach to running the Challenger Tour. So we are looking at regions and we are saying within that region, how many events do we want to, do we think we need to host? Um, what category of events, what surface so what we're trying to do is, is, is find that balance on a regional basis and do it from a much more centralized basis so that we can get balance in regions, balance across categories, balance across surfaces as well. Because I think the players quite rightly have pointed out to us that we are at the moment in terms of our events, we are very much skewed towards Europe and clay courts and the Challenger 80 category. And part of that's um, sort of some, some structural matters that we're sorting out. But a, a large part of that the reason for that is due to COVID. I mean, COVID has decimated Asia from a challenger tour perspective. It's obviously had a big impact in all regions of the world. And Europe's obviously bounced back quicker, and that's one of the reasons. But we are looking, as I said, from a centralized planning perspective to start to remedy that and, and really create a much more balanced footprint across all regions in South, uh, across the world. I think um, you mentioned Australia. Uh, we are obviously in discussions with Tennis Australia at the moment about hosting more Challenger events later this year, later in 2022. So I think there'll, there'll definitely be a couple more Challenger events in Australia and towards the latter end of 2022. Um, I think it's obviously Australia and, and South Africa are, are different countries in so many ways, but I think the one thing we do share is, is that we're both a long way from the rest of the tennis world. Um, and that's something we really struggled with from a South African perspective. And, and I think something that we really want to remedy from a Challenger perspective, as I say, is is really use the challenge of Perth to get to more countries in the world and, and create a better volume of, of content and, and tournaments in more countries in the world. Yep, for sure. So just sort of touching on that, do you more go to countries and authorities and promote sort of or suggest to have challenger events or do they mostly come to you? Because I guess one of the things you could spin off, especially down here in Australia is offer more challenger events. It's a great way to develop your players. I mean, Italy has so many challenges and they've got a swathe of players entering the top 100, top 200 now. So it's a great development tool. Is that something you use to sell? Yeah, definitely. So that's something we're doing more and more of, um, definitely. And, and Italy is a great example because they almost have a challenger every 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 week of the year. And I think there's a di- direct correlation between how well Italy it, Italian men are doing at the moment in the ATP singles rankings versus the number of events they have. South America is another interesting one. I think in the last couple of years, despite COVID, you've seen a sharp increase in the number of challenger events in South America. And there's a direct correlation. You look at the French Open, the number of South American men that played in qualies for the French Open and played in main draw for the French Open. It's grown exponentially over the last three to four years. So there's definitely a direct correlation between volume of challenger events and, and, and growth in, 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 in rankings and exposure to, 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 to international tennis. Yeah, definitely a massive correlation. I was, that's why I sort of wish we had more challenges down here in Australia, but hopefully we'll get to that, obviously. Um, 
Another thing in terms of, I guess, the scheduling of tournaments, I noticed after Indian Wells, there was a challenger in Phoenix and it had such a, a stacked field, really, lots of top sort of 50, 100 players. Do you reckon there's, well, is there a plan to sort of put more challenger events around some of these big Masters 1,500s Grand Slams? So, for instance, players that go through qualifying and don't make it sort of don't have to go too far around the corner to um, play a challenger event while the sort of big tournaments on? Yeah, in simple terms, the answer is yes. I mean, we're definitely looking at the the, the challenger mix for those weeks. I mean, I was actually in Phoenix in that week. And it, I mean, if you look at the field, the field was almost at a 250 level, ATP 250 level. That's how strong the field is. So I think we, we're we looking at, 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 at stronger challenges in those weeks, but also more playing opportunities in those weeks. That's definitely something that we are looking at. I mean, I think the whole calendar, as I said earlier, we're looking at strategically. So, I mean, for those avid followers of the Challenger Tour, I think another thing they would point out is the first three to four months of the year tend to be lower from a, from a content and volume perspective. And then it really intensifies as we go into the European spring and summer. Um, and that's also something that we're looking to rectify is really host more Challenger events, January, February, March, especially, and particularly in the Southern Hemisphere where the weather's obviously great in, the, in the, that time of year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's sort of down here in Australia, I guess. We had a few more ITF events this year as well, but you sort of had those few tournaments pre-Australian Open, then after the Els Open, it's just kind of gone. Players have to go to the yeah. other world yeah. kind of things. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned the ITF, and that's also something we've really focused on this year from a Challenger Tour perspective and department perspective is, is really working much more closely with the ITF. So we engage with the ITF, almost on a, on a sort of a twice monthly basis in terms of their world tennis tour and our challenger tour and trying to work together and, and trying to get, create a coherent pathway across both because, as you know, there are a lot of players who play across both tours. So we're really we, we're looking to really cooperate as, as, as much as we can with the ITF and reduce some of that sort of fragmentation in tennis that, that's often been spoken about. Yeah, that's bigger issue for another time is all, all the different bodies and stuff makes things um, a bit confusing. So... I guess to bring it back to Australia, you said you've been in dialogue with them um, to have a few more challenger events later in the year. Is this something, do they come to you at all? Because I feel in Australia, we have a bit of an Australian open syndrome where everything, all the exposure, media attention is kind of geared towards that. And then after that, it, interest seems to dissipate away. No, look, I think at the moment um, we are sort of taking what the market gives us. Um, so we are we are moving on to a more centralised planning approach. So at the moment, Tennis Australia are coming to us. But I think moving forward, we would like to get onto what I call the front foot and, and proactively engage with um, federations um, about and, and private promoters about time of year and frequency, et cetera. So I think from a challenger tour perspective, we, we'd love to see more challenger events in, in Australia. But I, I must say, I'm a big fan of Tennis Australia. I think they do an incredible job. And I think there's a lot that I can I can learn from what's happening at Tennis Australia and a lot that the Challenger Tour can learn from, from Tennis Australia. So I think we, we're really looking forward to... The bottom line is we were looking forward to working more closely with Tennis Australia and, and seeing if we can bring more Challenger events to Australia. That's good news for a lot of people down here. Thank you. So um, just sort of one last one. Obviously, you've just jumped into the role. Um, I guess, what's your sort of long-term vision slash mission of the ATP and yourself for the Challenger Tour? Yeah, I mean, I think I sort of alluded to it earlier about the purpose of the Challenger Tour. And as I said, we've spent the last few months really trying to dig down into what is the, the, the purpose or why does the Challenger Tour exist? And I think what we've done is we've identified 
three purposes. So the primary purpose is, is obviously the pathway that I spoke about earlier in terms of financial sustainability for a target ranking range, increased playing opportunities for a larger group of, of, of players, greater mobility for younger players. So that's obviously the primary purpose. But we do think there are there are two other purposes for the challenges. So one is from a revenue perspective, in terms of really looking to open up new revenue streams in and around the tour. So we're talking about sponsorship, we're talking about media rights, etc. Um, and, and the principle behind that is, is making sure that any money that's generated through those revenue streams is invested back into the tour in terms of players and tournaments. And then the other area, which I'm also particularly interested in as, as a sort of a tertiary or third or third purpose is, is using the Challenger Tour as a vehicle for, on a platform to grow tennis um, and grow the ATP brand. So what does that mean? It means using the Challenger Tour almost as the, the thin or the pointy bit of the spear in terms of going to new markets or non-traditional tennis markets and creating um, Challenger events there and growing interest in tennis there. So regions like Africa, for example, uh, an area that's close to my heart is is really woefully underrepresented from a from a tennis perspective in terms of tennis events. And we think we can really use the Challenger Tour to grow in the market there. But also using it as a as an as a as a platform to resurrect old markets or territories that have really been severely severely impacted by COVID. So Asia comes to mind. I mean Asia's been from a tennis perspective has been decimated by COVID. Um, and so we're really looking to maybe you know, use the challenger to start getting tennis back up and running in some some, some in selected countries. So it's really those three uh, purposes: pathway, revenue, and growth. Yeah, brilliant. Sort of can't wait to see how it all pans out. Um, once again, th- thank you for joining me and having a chat. That was really insightful, and our listeners will definitely get a lot out of that. Just to see where the challenger tour is going and the plan behind it, it's good to see someone motivated at the helm and yeah, keen to sort of grow it a bit. So th- thank you for all the work you're doing. Yeah, I must, I must say that um, the only reason I'm in this job is because last year, the ATP senior management, they did a, a sort of a, a strategic review and assessment of the Challenger Tour. And I think at, at senior management level and, and board level, there was a recognition that we need to we need to invest and grow grow the Challenger Tour. So that's why I'm sitting here. And I, I, I really must say that there's a lot of support and there's a lot of um, positive energy in the ATP around the Tour and really growing the Tour at all levels of the ATP. So... I think um, I'm really excited for us to present our new strategy to the ATP board later this year and, and then really excited to roll it out and get cracking for 2023. I think the work we're doing now can fundamentally step change the Challenger Tour over the next few years. And, and that's such an exciting opportunity, both for me, but also for, for our department, the Challenger team. Yeah, well, um, as I said, sort of can't wait to see how it all pans out and wish you every success because, yeah, once again, Challenger Tour is such an exciting prospect and, yeah, hopefully everything you're setting in place goes well. So, yeah, thank you very much for um, having a chat with me today. Thanks, Alex. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, that's all we've got time for on this edition of The Grind. I really hope you enjoyed the chat I had with Richard, and I'm really keen to see how his strategic plan works out over the next few years on the Challenger Tour. Once again, thank you for joining me, and I hope you can jump on for the next edition. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.
Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.